really love that song. I'm thankful for God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. And I'm glad it has nothing to do with who we are, but everything to do with who he is. Amen. Romans chapter 8, stand with me as you turn. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I want to look at a familiar passage of scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This was next Sunday morning's message, all right, is what this was. And uh, as I was studying this morning, reviewing my message for today, I I didn't get a piece about it. The Lord kept bringing this one back. So Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through verse 32. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, verse 32. This is one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. And if you want to be encouraged, turn to this chapter and, and you'll find it there. But Here we find two great promises of God's Word. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Would you read verse 28 and 29 aloud with me? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this Sunday morning. I I thank you for the way you've already worked in our hearts through the music and uh, whether it's the choir special about our Savior, whether it was the congregational songs we sang together, the special this morning, were it not for grace. We are thankful for the grace of God that brought us to a place of knowing you as our Savior, that brought us to this place this morning. Lord, many folks around this world don't have the opportunity of going to church today. They don't have a church where they're at and maybe nobody who shared the gospel with them. But here we have it and we're thankful for it. Lord, I pray that you'd use this message to speak to our hearts, that I would preach your word with accuracy and preach it the way you'd have it to be preached and that your Holy Spirit would stir and move in our hearts. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our theme this year is more about Jesus, more about Jesus. In this passage of Scripture, we see a call to be more like the Lord. Uh, this chapter is really, it, it contains some of the most incredible, two very incredible promises. Uh, probably most of us have leaned on verse 28 at one time or another. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. How many of you have leaned on that verse before? Some circumstance of life, some trial, and you've gone to that verse to remind yourself that God is at work in it, even though we, you may not see it in the moment. But you can trust the fact that God is working and doing something. Verse 29, God gives us a little glimpse of what that purpose is. And he says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. God in his foreknowledge knew those that would come to know him as their Savior. Now God isn't in the business of determining for us. God is a God of love and as a result of being a God of love, he's a God of choice. He placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and put them in a perfect world, in a perfect environment with the opportunity to walk with him. And yet he still gave them a choice, didn't he? He put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in there. And with that being their choice, you can walk with me and know my presence or you can eat of this tree and separate yourselves from me. And we know the choice that they made. They made a choice to separate themselves from them. And wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. 
We see that, that passing down and the the destruction of sin. But God gave them a choice. And God hasn't stopped giving men choices. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. I'm thankful for a whosoever gospel. That all of us are sinners, but we all have the opportunity to be saved. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But God in His foreknowledge knew. He knew who would trust Christ. And He made a... He predetermined beforehand that those who would trust Him would ultimately be conformed to the image of His Son. Philippians 1.6, he says this, Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that promise? God started something, and He's not going to stop until He's finished. Amen. At Calvary, He dealt with us with the past, with our past, or the penalty of sin. We can look to Calvary and see as God took the penalty of sin upon him for the wages of sin is death and Christ died for us and paid that penalty. We see this at Calvary that God's given us the power over, over sin in our life. Aren't you glad you don't have to sin? Uh, God says we're, we're, we're dead. once we were dead in trespass of sins, but we've been quickened, we've been made alive and sin has lost its hold. And one day, friend, one day we'll be saved from its very presence. One day this old flesh is going to drop off of us and we are going to be like our Savior. Matter of fact, he says it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what he, we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Brethren, there's coming a day when we see him that we will be as he is. I'm 43, and it seems to me sometimes, scarily so, that the older I get, the more and more I become like my father. My wife is scared to death of that fact. And vice versa, babe. All right, okay, all right. There's not the only one fearful, all right. But the older I get, it seems to be, now I'm in big trouble, all right. But it seems to be, the older I get, more of my, more of my dad I see in me. As a matter of fact, sometimes I watch my sons and they do something. And I go, ah, I know where that comes from, all right. I know where that comes from. Their mother, no, their father, all right. Uh, their father, I recognize it and we resemble one another. The Bible says that to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the what? The sons of God. It is an incredible privilege to be a son of God. And it is the natural consequence of being a son of God that we become a peculiar people. The word peculiar doesn't mean odd, but it just means to resemble him. It means more and more we look like him. And there's coming a day, friend, when we walk into his presence, when we will be like him. And the call of the Christian life is that each day our life is conformed more and more to our Savior. More and more we take on his character, more and more. The Lord would call his people, over 200 and some times in the New Testament, those who would follow him, disciples. The world would mark them on two different occasions. We, they were called, the church was first called Christians at Antioch. God calls us his disciples and his children, but the world names us after him Christian. Why? Because we resemble him. Or we should. It's an unstoppable work of God. Friend, you, the, the, the joyous Christian life, we sang the song, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. The great joy in the Christian life is allowing God to work out His purpose in our life and make us more like Him. 
The great misery of the Christian life is when we are resistant to what God is trying to do in our life. There's individual purposes of God. God calls people to different fields and different vocations. I, we just had missions conference. God sends the Gazaways to Egypt and the Salts to, to England, the, the Likes there to Honduras and the Filions to Quebec and uh, the, the, the Grovers who are with us this Wednesday night to, to Libby, Montana. And, and God sends some as missionaries, some as pastors, some as laborers in a secular world and laymen in their church. Individually, God calls us, but certain, will of, certain things of the will of God are universal to us all that know Him as Savior. There is the call to witness. You cannot escape it. It is God's will for you if you know Christ as your Savior. The moment of salvation, you receive your first ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. He committed unto us the word of reconciliation. If you know Jesus as your Savior, friend, you're on the mission field. You're on the mission field. And then we see this one. It's the unstoppable will of God. He's conforming us to the image of his Son. You cannot stop it. One day you will be like him. You can resist it. You can wrestle with him, but you cannot stop it. There is great joy in the Christian life when you just let God work. I looked at this passage of scripture and I see this two promises. The one that God is working all things together for good and the other what that good is that God is making us more like him. But how do we let that happen? How do we stop wrestling with God and just let him work in our life? I want you to notice the first thing we see here on verse 28. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that what? Love him. Love him. Matthew 22, 36 through 38. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Lord would say in John, in 1 John, he would say we love him because he first loved us. And one of the ways we find God's changing work, shaping us into the image of his dear son, is when we fall in love with our Lord. Love shows itself in our devotion, doesn't it? I think of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, there towards early in the Lord's ministry, and Peter would step out, the Lord would, at, would use his boat, and he would step out in the shore and begin to preach from the shore. And then the Lord would look at Peter and say, launch out into the deep. And he'd launch out into the deep. And there in the deep, the Lord would look at Peter and he'd say, throw thy net on the, uh, into the sea. And Peter would look at him and say, Lord, we've been fishing all night long, and we haven't caught a thing. We've been fishing all night, and there's nothing to be caught. I'm a fisherman. I know this. He knew the Lord was a carpenter from his, his earthly life as, as he grew up. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I know this. Yet Peter would say this, nevertheless, at thy word, I will. And he'd throw that net over on, the other, on there into the sea, and he'd draw in a, in a hall with those fish that the nets begin to break, and he'd draw those others over him to help carry the load in. And Paul would, or Peter would, humble himself and begin to worship the Lord. And then this statement would be made. In Luke 5:11, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. What is that? It's devotion. It is devotion. I will tell you something, Christian. What you love is what you become. What we love is what we become. If you love the world, you will become like the world. What we love is what we become. If you're in love with your Savior, you will devote yourself to Him and become more and more like Him as you seek to please Him. 
Some people live to bring a smile to their own face. Some people live to bring a smile to someone else's face. But a Christian is meant to live to bring a smile to the face of their Lord. To devote ourselves to Him. He's the only one worthy of our devotion, friend. Matter of fact, He gave all for us. Think of there in the Garden of Gethsemane as he would pray before the Lord just before his crucifixion. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. The Lord himself would seek to pursue his Father's will. As you seek to pursue the Lord, as you devote yourself to the Lord, you will find yourself conforming to what pleases him. What gets us is our love. I think how he'd rebuke the church at Ephesus there in Revelations, and he would say, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left thy first love. The love of Christ constraineth us, his love for us and our love for him. What do you love? What we love is what we become. God does a changing work in our life as we fall in love with our Lord and see how good he has been to us. It's It brings about our devotion. Love makes us delight in Him. Psalms 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Where do you find your delight? Where do you find your delight? You find your delight in the Lord. Your life will change. Your life will change. I tell you what, your life will change no matter what you delight in. It'll seek to please that which you delight. And the Lord is calling us, he's he's saying, all things work together for good to them that love God. And one of the keys to allowing our lives to become more and more and more like our Lord is to fall in love with our Lord. And you don't need to look any further than what he has done for you to recognize we have a good reason to love him. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. A sinner by nature and by, by nature and birth and a sinner by choice. The consequence of it. For the wages of sin is death. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death consequence of it Adam and Eve's decision to turn from the Lord and eat of the fruit and every man since then choosing not only a sinner by birth their parents before them were a sinner but friend in our life we choose to be a sinner and yet for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what everlasting life the song were it not for grace were it not for grace. God paid the price for us. Not to be earned for, not to be worked for, because friend, if you work for it, you'll never get it. It is only in simple acceptance that you find salvation in a relationship with the Lord. You cannot earn it. You cannot work for it. You can only receive it as a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift. 
He paid the price. And there's nobody that's offered that kind of gift before or ever since. Love. And love will change your life. Love changes us. It's just a matter of what we choose to love. I've been married 15 years now. We were in the kitchen this morning, and my wife said, you know, we have a, there, I don't, you, what was the word? We have a true, something, some timeless thing or a tested thing in our house, the toaster, all right? The toaster has been with us since we got married, so it's 15 years now, all right? I'm going to see how long I make the toaster to last. Matter of fact, the other day, our TV, we had a flat screen TV in the house, and it looked like it wasn't going to turn on. And I told my kids, I'm sorry, I have yet to buy a TV in my life, all right? And, uh, you know, it sounds crazy, but we had a TV given to us when we got married, and that thing, it, it got to the point where when you watched a football game, and you'd watch a football game, and half the screen was cut off. So it was almost like you'd watch that football go, and then, hmm, I wonder what just happened, all right? And uh, someone came in, and they saw that, and said, Preacher, you need a new TV. I'm like, well, I'm not buying a new TV. And so he went out and took us to get one. And uh, so I told my kids, if it dies, guys, I'm sorry. You're just going to grow up without it, all right? <laughs> but that toaster's still hanging around, all right? That toaster's still hanging around. Certain things, uh, that one, and I have no idea where I was going with this, all right? But... Uh, but certain things, got, certain things have stuck. I think of this, love will change you. Fifteen years ago, actually more than that, 2007, in December of 2007, I asked my wife, will you marry me? It was a few months before that, she had gone down to, she was away at college, and I had flown down to see her, and uh, I mixed it with a work trip, all right, and I flew down to see her, and, and I was there, and it was, we had been dating for a, a couple months at that point, and, uh, and I, as I was leaving, I, we, we had very similar backgrounds, her dad's a preacher, my dad's a preacher, so we both came from crazy homes, you know, that's the way it works, but uh, very similar backgrounds, and we were there, and as I was driving away, I realized, you know what I was thinking about? Do I love this girl? Is this the girl the Lord has for me? And I'd been thinking about it that trip, and it hit me on the way out. I love this girl. So I turned around, and I went back to go tell her, but she had already gone to classes, all right? So I had to wait a few months to tell her, and until she came back, and I told her there when she arrived home. But 15 years later, I still love her, but I love her more now than I did then. The Morrison, 72, 72 or 73 years. 72. How many days, Brother Morrison? All right. And, uh, and uh, 72 years. And what happens? The more devoted you are, the more you put in, the more you sacrifice, our life changes. Love. Friend, it is love that is the motivating factor that makes us like our Savior. And it is the lack thereof that keeps us from it. What you love is what you become. What we love is what we become. You cannot stop the will of God in changing us and conforming us. But we allow it when we choose to love Him. Then we see this. Not only love Him, but to trust Him. Look at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can what? Be against us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Trust him. He that, that verse, what shall, we then, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We see the might of God in that verse. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can, who can stand against the Lord? Some have tried and all will fail. 
It was God who said, let there be light. And there was light. It was God that said, let us make man in our image. It was God who shaped us. It was God who breathed life into our nostrils. It was God who spoke this world into existence. And according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, upholds all things with the word of his power. In Isaiah chapter 40, he says that he can measure the heavens in a span. That's this distance. The dust of the earth in his hand. The might of God. I think of the Psalms as he would lay, David, as he would lay and tend his father's sheep and look up into the sky and see the stars and say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He was amazed at the might of God. I think of the might of God that could control creation as he would part the Red Sea and he would part the Jordan River and he'd make water come out of a rock and he'd feed his people with manna from heaven. I think of the power of God on display as the Lord would say, peace be still on that boat and the seas were calm. His power over disease as he would heal the lepers and his power over sin as he would say, thy sins be forgiven thee. And his, his power over the demons as he would cast them out. There is no one that has the power like God has. Friend, there is no trial that is bigger than God. There is no temptation in life that is bigger than God. Trust Him. Trust. We put our trust in all the wrong things sometimes. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own under what? Understanding. That verse is not teaching us to abandon reason. I said this in Sunday school, but if, if you drove here this morning, you followed some sense of reason, didn't you? In other words, when the light turned red, you stopped. Now, you might have been surrounded by someone who disobeyed the laws of reason, right? You stayed on a certain side of those double yellow lines in the middle of the road. You followed a certain speed limit. You went on green, you stopped on red, and you rushed on yellow. Okay, we all know it, all right. We followed certain senses of reason. But do you ever followed the sense of reason and it still fails? I was in Phoenix City a couple years ago and following the sense of reason, stopped at the light, sitting still, and all of a sudden, whap, back of my truck and mushed it. <laughs> they almost totaled it and they fixed it. But I followed the sense of reason, but the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is who? the Lord. There are certain things of reason that we practice, but you never, ever rely on it. Because it is God. And there is one that is greater than all, and he is God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? The greatness of our God. But that's not all that Lord said there in that verse. He said in verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He spared not his own son. Go to Galatians with me. Keep your finger here and go to the Galatians. I was going to preach out of Galatians this morning, chapter 2 and verse 20. But part of those were these verses here in Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4, it says this in Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. 
And because ye are his sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When the fullness, I like that verse, but when the fullness of time was come. Peter reminds us that God had had a plan since before the foundation of the world, and that plan was Jesus. Adam and Eve living in a perfect world and chose to sin. And then entered the day of conscience. Men living by their conscience in God's direction, but at the, that would fail at the flood. The day of government, and it would fail at, at the Tower of Babel. The age of the, of the patriarchs, insufficient. The law, what a failure to man, to salvation. But it painted an incredible picture, didn't it? Every sacrifice teaching us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Day after day, pointing them to the, to the ultimate perfect sacrifice, his name would be Jesus. The temple, the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. But if you stood outside, outside of the courtyard in the temple, there was one gate, wasn't there? One gate, one way in. Jesus would say in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by what? Me. There's just one way, and that when he begin to paint that picture, you would step inside and there would be the altar, the place where the sacrifices were made. Blood must be shed. Beyond the altar, you'd find the brazen letter, labor uh, for cleansing where the priests once, when they would enter into ministry, would cleanse themselves completely. A picture of once saved, always saved, one positional cleansing. But daily, as they went about the ministry, they would wash their hands and their feet. We pick up grime in this life, but our position in Christ is sure. They were into the holy place, into the tabernacle, and there would be the table of showbread. I'm the bread of life, the lampstand, the light of the world, the altar of incense, picture of our prayer. Once a year, the day of atonement, the high priest, after he followed the right procedures, could enter into the holies of holies, but no man before him could. And there you would find the Ark of the Covenant, the place where the presence of God would dwell. But inside of the Ark of the Covenant was a copy of the law that said, for all have sinned because no man can keep it. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant sat the mercy seat. And there the blood was sprinkled. One day, friend, it was coming. Wrapped up in the law, keeping the law, believing that one day, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, the virgin-born Savior, would come to this earth and redeem him for ourselves. Because he loved us. Because he loved us. For God so loved the world. He spared not. He spared not. He sent him from the right hand of the throne of God to walk on a dirty earth, born a little manger, not in a palace, not in the, not in the tabernacle, not in the temple, but in a little manger. Carpenter. His father and mother would take him and flee to Egypt to save his life. Ultimately, he'd grow up in Nazareth, and they would say, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? But he would raise, he would grow, and at 30, he'd begin to preach his earthly ministry. The crowds would follow him. They would follow him, but only a few truly believed. And then, that last supper, Judas would sneak out of the room to go betray his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. 
Lord would go out with his disciples and they would go down into the Garden of Gethsemane and they'd begin to pray. Watch him pray with me one hour and the Lord would go a little deeper and he'd come back and his disciples slept. Watch him pray lest ye enter into temptation. They would fall back asleep. Finally, you could hear them coming through the garden. Judas and his band, a kiss of betrayal, taken before the religious crowd who should have known him for exactly who he was. And yet they would blaspheme his name. Send him off to Pilate. Pilate could find no wrong in them, but the crowd would still cry out, crucify him. Back to Herod, he would go and then back to Pilate. He would try to make a trade with them for Barabbas, this thief and this murderer, and yet they would rather crucify the Lord Jesus Christ than the thief and the murderer. And so Pilate would wash his hands of it all and allow our Savior to be scourged. Cat of nine tails across his back. Psalms 22 tells us his bones were made bare till his flesh hung and you could see the bones beaten across the face, his beard plucked out, till he was unrecognizable as a man. They would mock the one who truly was king of kings and lord of lords and shove a crown of thorns upon his head, drape him in purple to mock him and then remove it from him and make him carry the cross till his physical body began to wane. They'd grab a man from the crowd, nail him to a cross, hands through, nails through his hands and through his feet, and hang him there, giving him vinegar to drink as they mocked his name. Until he finally said, it is finished. Paid in full. For the wages of sin is death, and he would give up the ghost and die. Not because he was a sinner, but because you and I are sinners. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thankfully, three days later, the grave could not hold him. I love the way Acts says, it is impossible that he should be holding by it. It was not possible for him to remain in the grave. Amen. All because he loved us. And God said he spared not his son. When you think about how great God is, there is nothing bigger than God. There is no trial, there is no temptation, there is no circumstance that is larger than our God. He spoke this world into existence. He sustains it with his word. He is greater than it all. And that great God looked down from heaven and said, I love you so much, I will send my son for you. What good thing do you think I would withhold from you? Trust him. There is no one more worthy of our trust than our Lord. I will tell you this, you can trust people in this life, but people will one day let you down. But God never will. We serve a God and we see this. How do you get conformed to his image? Well, friend, you learn to love the one who is the most loving one in all of eternity. And you learn to trust the only one worthy of our trust. Trust him. And then we see this, surrender to him. Look at verse 28 again. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And God has a purpose to it all. There is, you know, 
It's easy to yield to someone that you love and trust. That's why love and trust are so important. Because you do not love them and you do not trust them, you will not surrender to them. But if you love them and if you trust them, you will surrender to them. To his purpose. We know this, friend. God doesn't do things to us. He does things for us. That's what he's saying here. There's people in this world who will do things to us. Satan will try to destroy us. But God doesn't do things to us. He does them for us. The Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What is God saying? I've allowed the trial that I might shape you and conform you to the image of my Son. He's saying, I've allowed these things into your life so that you might become more and more and more and more like me. And I promise you this, whatever I allow into your life, it will be good. It will be good. And it will make you more like me. There is nothing that God does to me. He does everything for me. Even as others wrong us, God allows it because he's doing something in our life. And you know what the key is? Yieldedness. Surrender, submission. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Rahm Emanuel, I'm no fan. He <laughs> was a political man, and he made this statement when it came to politics. Never let a crisis go to waste. Never let a crisis go to waste. He wanted to use it for his own political means. But when it comes to the trials of life, never let a crisis go to waste. Because God has a reason in it all. A purpose. The first question on our mind, Lord, what are you trying to do for me? What are you trying to do for me? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. To be conformed to the image of his dear son, what are you trying to do for me? Because I know you're not doing it to me. Because you love me and I can trust you, surrender. Now you can wrestle and you can grow bitter and you can fight your God. And one day he wins anyway because you cannot stop what he's doing, friend. In this life or the next life, you're going to be like him. It is your destination since it is your destiny since your birth. June 3rd, 1980, I came into this world a child of Ron and Cindy Hahn. And there's nothing I can do about the fact that more and more I seem to look more and more like him. Gray keeps coming in. And guess where it comes in? Here and here. That don't say that, brother Ball. Yeah. That's a Han trait. It's in my father. It's in my grandmother. I can't stop it. Friend. You're going to be like him. What a blessing that is. Don't fight it. Surrender to what he's doing in your life through the circumstances. Trust him. Run to his word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. 
Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The just shall live by faith. Where does that faith come to live? It comes from the word of God. As God shapes us and transforms us more and more into his image. Trust him. Surrender to his word. Surrender to what he's doing in the circumstances. You can trust him because he loves you. So yield to him. Friend. There's no greater compliment than to hear, I see Jesus in that person. None. There's no greater goal than to say, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. I want to please him. I want to delight in him. I want to be devoted to him. If you love him, if you trust him, if you yield to him, you will be more like him. More like him. You can't stop it. So we might as well give in to it. I've seen people grow bitter by fighting what God's doing. Rather than saying, what do you have for me, Lord? They keep saying, why are you doing this to me? No, what do you have for me? Because I know he loves me and I love him. Friend, I can trust him. Because there is nothing that comes into my life that he is not bigger and greater than. And that great God spared not his own son because he loved me. And so, here I am, Lord. Not my will be done, but thine be done. Make me more like you. Little by little, day by day, until we enter into his presence and see our Savior face to face. And then, friend, we're truly going to be a peculiar people, just like our Savior. In the meantime, let him do his work. Let him work. He loves you. You can trust him. So yield to him. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the scripture. An incredible passage of scripture that reminds us of our God. It reminds us of who you are and how much you love us. Lord, I pray that this morning we would trust you. We would set our love upon the Lord. We'd put our trust in the Lord. And we'd certainly yield to the Lord. Lord, I don't know the individual struggles and trials of life that folks face, or at least not all of them, but you do. And I know in them all, you have something for us. You're not trying to harm us. You're trying to help us. And I pray, Lord, that we'd surrender to what you're doing in our life, whether it is through the scripture or through a circumstance or a trial. But, Lord, that we would let you do your work in our hearts and lives this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you this first question. Do you know him? <clears throat> Have you made the choice to trust in him? There's no one who's loved you more than him. How many of you could say this morning, preacher, I know if I died today, I'd be with the Lord because I've trusted in him as my savior. I died this very moment. I, I know that I came into this world as a sinner, but I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know him. If I were to die today, I would be with him. Now, that I am sure. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand just between you and I and the Lord? Say, Preacher, I know him. Thank you. you may put your hand down. Is there anybody say, Preacher, I'm unsure about that. I don't know where I'd spend eternity. But I sure want to know that this morning. I want to know the one who died for me, and I want to know heaven is my home. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand this morning so I can pray for you? Anybody like that? Say, Preacher, would you pray for me? Let me ask you this then, Christian. Maybe you would say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. It's a matter of loving Him or how much He loves you. It's a matter of trusting Him. 
Or maybe it's a matter of yieldedness. Maybe there's a specific area where God touched your heart and said, just surrender to what I'm trying to do in your life. It's for you, not to you. But if you would say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this morning, would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play, as the invitation is given, a time of prayer, an opportunity to spend time with your God. But do business with the Lord this morning. Maybe something to yield, a matter to trust Him on. But as God has spoken to your heart this morning, do business with Him. <clears throat>